Hi, thank you for a very informative presentation. I'm sure that you could have told us an awful lot more. Anyway, my name is Frances Schultz. One of my big concerns is the whole aspect of education. Um, and one of my biggest concerns is that they're going to try to do to the Alberta school boards what they did to the hospital boards. Mm. Namely, either appoint who's allowed to be on the board or to take them over completely. Do you see that as a possibility? Well, we know that uh, Minister Hancock has been doing a review of the uh, Education Act, and, and uh, just last week, I think it was, uh, in the midst of the federal election, they actually tabled the new school act in the legislature. Uh, I had a preliminary look at it. I mostly just saw the media focus on it. What, uh, what I did understand from the media, without having analyzed it, is that, that they, Minister Hancock has made that commitment to keep the school boards in place. And, uh, and so I don't think that we're going to go down that road. I, I shared your concern early on because there was some discussion about appointing school boards or consolidating school boards. But from uh, w what is a very preliminary read of, of the tabled school act, uh, that's probably not going to happen. doesn't mean there aren't other issues in education, which I fully agree. And, and I do hope to spend some more time reading it. Um, we have an education task force meeting coming up next week. And, and the legislature is going to be closing shortly, so they won't pass the school act until the fall. So there will be lots of time to analyze it and to, to hopefully uh, potentially amend it if, if there's some egregious things in there. But, okay, thank you. Mr. Kil Kilgannon, is it? Yes. Uh, bless you for coming. You're one of the few institutions that we learn from. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm an institution unto myself. <laughs> excuse me. Secondly, you had a member of your research team, your chief researcher, I forget her name. Uh, I've asked the two ministers of the Crown in, from Edmonton. I've asked the lady wants to be premier. I've asked... I've lost the environment minister, mm -hmm. and lastly, the uh, political scientist from right here, Ladbridge, okay, mm -hmm. as to exactly what our royalties are. Mm -hmm. And you asked my partners at my desk, they all went around it like dogs around a hot bowl of mush. Yep. Not a one answered it. Yep. I happened to have the information from Mr. Dunn before he resigned. Oh, yeah. And I offered it to your good lady mm -hmm. from the Parkland Institute. She, oh. said, she said, you have it? That was after the meeting. She, I'd give my life for it. Diana Gibson? Yeah. Absolutely. Beautiful person. She actually reported to the press, but it's hushed up faster than you can say hush, okay? <laughs> uh, I have it. And the Excellent. reason that you all these problems you are showing mm -hmm. is that we are getting nothing on oil. Yeah. I repeat it. I have the proof. As a matter of fact, Canadian press reported a month ago that the $2.8 billion, $2 billion we're getting out of oil has been paid back to the oil companies in subsidies, okay? Okay? Yep. We've getting twice as much natural gas as we are in oil. We're shipping 1.5 million barrels a day. That's all I'm going to say. But the question I would say is how can we educate the Alberta public, would yeah. it, could it be made compulsory 
to take lessons in the environment, what the <laughs> hell is happening, because that's all we're li- li- I-, I assure you. Anyway, I want to thank you again. I, I really appreciate your comments, sir. Um, it's Sorry, true Bill, that when people talk the... about royalties, oh. most people don't understand some of those fundamentals, and it's it's uh, and 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 oftentimes the economists will say, well, it's too complex. You don't really need to know or understand that, but we absolutely do. I heard it described uh, quite uh, succinctly by um, actually a Parkland researcher from Calgary. We talked about royalties. You have to distinguish between corporate taxes and royalties. And the way he described it, I thought was good. He says it's like the equity in your house. And if you wanted to um, sell your house, you'd want to, um, you know, uh, you have to, uh, um, it's what the equity is that's built up in your house. And you want to make sure that the, the rate that you're going to get from your real estate agent is, is um, uh, equivalent to what other people down the street are going to get. So you're going to pay your real estate agent a little percentage to help sell your house. And that's what we say to the oil industry. We, you, know, we, you have the expertise. You can come in here, and you're going to earn a profit, and that's the, their percentage. But as owners of that house or of that resource, we own 100% of the equity that then is left over after the oil and gas industry uh, choose to, um, uh, you know, earn their profit, and they earn a very hefty profit. So royalties is only the difference between how much it, how much they uh, are, are able to get totally for the sale of it, compared to how much it costs to extract it, and and a certain percentage of a profit. And in most other jurisdictions, the amount that the owners of the resource, the citizens, get is significantly higher, and that's what we need to talk about. And so the UK, for instance, has just uh, increased uh, dramatically their, t- their percentage that they take of the royalties, uh, as is other jurisdictions around the world. And their economies are, you know, it's not like it's uh, devastating the industry as well to take that. So, so these are important things, and, and you're right, we do need to do a better job on educating folks on that. Thanks for your talk. Uh, very informative. I'm Rena Wass. Uh, one of your slides, um, you, it was about a vision for Alberta and about, I think there was a caption about wellness. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to a CBC program a couple of weeks ago, and the program was on that very thing. It was on a happiness index. Yep. And uh, they interviewed, well, they talked about different countries where they take this very seriously. What is the happiness of the population? And the happiness is very much tied in with what industries are coming in. And Bahrain, as one example, they will not allow any industry that will impact their environment or the happiness of their population. And here we've got a government that is opening the doors to unlimited mining and exploitation of our resources at tremendous cost to the people in different given areas. What, what, like, how do you see, like, I'm worried about corporate takeover, this idea of uh, living in this, you know, corporate feudalism, I guess is what the term is. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How can we influence our government to take this seriously, this happiness index? Yeah. No, and that, that's the kind of reframing that I hope my um, speech was, was about. 
A friend of mine in Edmonton, Mark Elniski, has been working with governments all over the world. He's a prof in the Faculty of Business and Economist, and we've done some work together. And he's written a book called uh, The Economics of Happiness. I highly recommend it. In fact, I, maybe he's even been a speaker here in the past. If, if not, I'd highly recommend him. He's a very, very powerful speaker. And in countries all over the world, they are looking at what it is that matters and, and happiness and, and, and how do you create happiness and how do you measure happiness and how do you, how do you steer your economy to be about creating that sense of well-being, of happiness for your people, rather than just increasing the gross national product. Our measurements are all, from an economics perspective, all about gross national products. And, and you know, the, if, if there's a car accident, that actually increases the gross national product because then there's, you know, the, the expense on the ambulance, uh, the mechanics get to work and fix those cars, and then there's all the health care expenses, not to mention the lawyers always get their cut of things in the insurance industry. But the car accident doesn't, uh, isn't, isn't part of genuine progress. So they have what they call the genuine progress indicator that even Nova Scotia has been looking at how do they implement a, a GPI rather than a, um, on that. And so, so you're, you're right. The more we're individualized, the more we're working for the economy rather than the economy working for us, uh, the more stressed people are. There's been some studies coming out about our stress levels increasing. And we can see it in the numbers as well that families are having to work harder and harder just to stand still. And the more you're doing that, the less you have time to connect with friends and have your grandkids over or, you know, and, and celebrate those great things and art and all of those things. So we have to change the dialogue. We have to move to talking about uh, happiness and what that means for, for our society. So thank you for that question. And thank you, Bill, for uh, a very informative uh, talk. Um, my name is Van Christou. I have been worried for many years about the decreasing royalty rate that the our provincial government is is taking from from our resources from our oil resources, I did learn today that uh, about this uh, handout to the to for uh, exploration that I had no idea about. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just amazed at how little information we have about all those things. Uh, that that really does concern me as a citizen of this province. Um, we. Uh, we don't have material on which to make decisions and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and, and do things constructive. It's a complicated picture uh, when we look at your list of, uh, I think the order you had there was health, and then uh, the, the, the second one was, was wealth, and, and then education, and then finally uh, the, um, the security. Um, when you put those all together, that's a lot of problems that we have. And, and uh, we can fault the government uh, here, there, and everywhere. But the one area that I think we're really missing uh, in concentrating so much on, the, on all the details is the long-term picture. Uh, this province has one of the lowest uh, rates of population in, per square mile in the world. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a lot more people come here over the years. And as our population increases... Uh, what are we doing in terms of planning our transportation? We've got two major cities in this province, both are completely submerged in gridlock, mm -hmm. uh, traffic-wise. Yeah. Um, uh, both those cities require a real uh, uh, extensive metro system connected with a high-speed train. 
Yeah. Which should go beyond that, uh, down to here and, and up north Absolutely. too. Absolutely. Um, when the oil gives out, which is not far down the down the pike, uh, we're going to have to rely on other things. What are we doing about tourism? Mm -hmm. uh, we have an opportunity right now to establish a tourist uh, base, second to none in the world. That's right. With a, an elevated train going from Calgary Airport to Banff to Jasper to the Edmonton Airport, it would attract people from all over the world. Why are we not investing in this? I don't hear anything about plans for the future. What can yeah. you tell us about it? No, thank you. That, I mean, that, that speaks to the whole question of, um, you know, the the power of the oil and gas industry here, your whole thing about why why we're not hearing about this uh, uh, lack of royalties, uh, the, the lack of information that's out there and the debate on these things is, is that uh, they're very powerful interests with uh, well-paid lobbyists and, and uh, for them, it's an important uh, part of their business. If you can get a policy change to that can make uh, millions and millions of dollars for them. But Albertans, when you look at the polls, show that our environment and, and wanting to develop our, our future in a very environmentally sustainable way. And there is a growing recognition around climate change. There's a growing recognition around the strain of our, on our water resources and that we have to start looking at doing things differently. And, and so many um, uh, countries around the world are looking at uh, what they call that transition. Uh, at our conference this year, we had Rob Hopkins, who is the co-founder in the United, United Kingdom of what's called the Transition Towns Movement. And they have a really excellent film. I'd highly encourage uh, people here to get it, uh, maybe Sheila might be able to get it and show, have you shown Transition Towns here at all? So it, 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 it brings community together and starts t talking about localizing the community. It starts talking about uh, local, local currencies right through to how you design your cities to be more environmentally friendly, to be more supportive of each other, to break down some of the isolation that many seniors feel and others in their communities. Uh, but it's about the fact that uh, they know very well in the UK that, that there's a declining uh, access to uh, fossil fuels. And so what are they doing now to prepare for it? And if we don't start thinking about the future, if we don't start that transition now and start building those infrastructures, then we're going to be in crisis. And we shouldn't, you know, we, we, we have the, hopefully the ability and the foresight as a society to move beyond that and start looking at what it would mean to build high-speed rails. When the downturn in the economy came a couple of years ago, um, the uh, provincial government had on the books $2 billion in their Green Trip Fund, which was support for urban transportation. But as soon as the downturn in the economy came about, they cut that. I mean, it's, they, it's still on the books, they say, but they, they, they just weren't going to be spent. They barely spent, I think, $100 million of the, the $200 million or $2 billion that they had projected to spend over the 10 years. But carbon capture and sequestration, CCS, $2 billion, $660 of every man, woman, and child in Alberta. Again, it's, you know, on one level, okay, let's, you know, reduce our carbon, but it is the most expensive way to, to address our carbon. And, and we've already seen that there's only two major projects that are, that are moving ahead on that, and yet we're subsidizing an additional $2 billion for carbon capture and sequestration. And the real, if you really look at what carbon capture and sequestration is about, is, is they, they pump carbon into old oil wells, 
But what that does is it forces the older, the, the oil that's still down there up, and they can extract what they call tertiary extraction of more oil. So it's like we're subsidizing to bury the carbon of the oil and gas industry, but meanwhile they get to suck up that much more oil. Because we're and we're our taxpayers' dollars are building the pipelines to make that happen. So you're right. We do need to be thinking about the future. We do need to be thinking about what sort of environmentally sustainable systems we need to be putting in place, and challenging the direction that this government's going and the spending that they're that they're putting out there on these things. So thank you for the question. Hi, Bill. Bev Mendelathriston. Hi, Bev. Hi. Thank you very much for your talk. Um, of course, it's overwhelming when we look at all the things that need to be done. Um, reframing, that's certainly certainly part of the puzzle. You know, we're coming out of uh, our best NDP federal campaign ever down here in Lethbridge, and Mark Sandyland has got more than 27% of the vote. But still, we could not, we could not tell average Albertans that what's going to happen now under the Harper government is bad for them. It's it's actually going to harm them. And it seems that just to talk about the uh, the reframing, every time every time the the people who are unearthing important information bring it out, then there's this spin put on it that um, the people seem to buy. And mm-hmm. you know, one of your suggestions was that we should get in touch with the government. Um, I, I just don't think that's going to work because it seems to me that the corporations and the people who are in power, whether it's uh, Stelmac or Harper, that these governments are really supported by people outside of Canada. You know, they've mm-hmm. they've bankrupt U.S. Now they're going to bankrupt Canada. <laughs> we're we're the next um, the next frontier e- economically. So. It seems to me that the connecting the dots from the oil spills in the north and the toxic the toxins in you know the mm-hmm. the rivers and so on all this that's very difficult for people to see f- from those points down to their own health yeah so it seems to me it's not just reframing but it's actually connecting those dots much closer so that people see oh yeah my health and wealth wellness is related to this so could you talk a little bit about, through pub- Public Interest Alberta, I mean, you've talked about the town halls and these different things, yeah. but how can we make the message clearer for the average Canadian, the average Albertan, so they can see that what is happening is a direct, is, is yeah. directly correlated to some of these things that are being subsidized by the government? Yeah, thank Thanks. you. Yeah, the federal election, to me... Um, and I understand the vote. Uh, to thinking about it in seeing the communications around it, there's it was a distinction between fear and hope. And uh, the politics of fear is very powerful. And and we have you know sometimes those of us that do this work think, oh, well, we just we just have to have a better intellectual argument. But people don't vote just based on who's got the best policy or is intellectual or whatever. It's an emotional connection that has to happen on some level. And fear is a very powerful motivator. And and what was happening uh, so much in the communications from from the Conservatives and the Harper 
is about fear, is about those gangs, and we have to put more people in jail, and we have to be tough on crime, and we have to do all that. As opposed, as, as opposed to a vision of hope that says, what are we doing to prevent these things in the first place? How are we supporting those people so that we're, they're not falling into a life of crime and gangs? And, 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 and what's, the, what's the vision of this country? And I think part of the reason why the NDP uh, did so well is, is that they were able to articulate in a positive way that sense of hope. And they weren't, I, I mean, it, all the parties do their partisan stuff and there was some attacks back and forth but uh, far less sort of focus on, on attack ads and more on articulating that sense of what it is that we can become. So the lesson for me out of that and the lesson for Alberta politics as we move forward is, is that people do change and they connect, but you have to connect with them on, on that emotional level. And they need to feel that this matters to them, as, I, as my talk was about. They need, it matters to uh, not just their pocketbook or sort of basic uh, economic things. Or we'll give you a tax cut. Yeah? Uh, it, it, um, and so the, the work of any political party or advocates is, is, to, is to bring politics in, into, into people's lives and people's lives back into politics. And so moving forward, Public Interest Alberta uh, through Join Together Alberta, we're not just coming and going to tell you, we, we will do town hall, there'll be lots of good information and stuff, but we need the community mobilizing. We need you to tell your stories. I was hearing some stories at the table here around the impact on special education kids. We need to hear about stories of of seniors who are struggling to get enough home care. We need to hear about people with disabilities who are being cut off, and that's happening more and more throughout this province, etc. And those should be front and center in our media, but it, there's new tools to be using to get those things out, and we need to be starting creating that communities of, communities of advocates. Um, and I see SACPA very much as a community of advocates. But don't just talk to yourselves. You have to deliberately go out and to create deliberate community conversations about what kind of vision you want for this province, which is why, one of the reasons I'm so excited that Lethbridge is one of the cities that has agreed to sign on to having a discussion about a poverty reduction strategy. What would it take to reduce, prevent, and eliminate poverty in Alberta? Just asking that question alone. There's no one solution. There's hundreds and hundreds of things that need to happen. But if you have that debate, as other provinces have had, you shift the discussion. You give a sense of hope that, yeah, we can actually do something, and we can track it, and we can measure it. And over the next 10 years, 15 years, amazing what we can do if we commit to these things. So, so recognizing advocacy is long-term, and that you're all a part of that, and you all need to be engaged in, in, in that process. And so hopefully when we come out, I think uh, June 16th is the date that we're tentatively uh, looking at uh, hosting a big town hall here. And May 31st, we'll be actually having a, um, uh, one of these telephone town halls for an hour uh, where we're going to be connecting up with tens of thousands of Albertans over the phone for an hour uh, to launch the campaign. So go to, I think, the last question here. We're getting... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Austin Fennell, thanks for your address. Um, Mike, you, you, you've enumerated the number of ways in which cuts are going to take place. Mm -hmm. And um, my question would be whether there's any variation among the various uh, contenders for the leadership of the Conservative Party. 
mm-hmm. in terms of where they stand on those kind of cuts. That's right. Is there a variation in their attitudes, or are they uniform in their agreement about <laughs> them? That's a very important question, and I think for everyone in the room to start trying to figure that out. The the real leadership race is going to begin after the legislative session closes in a week. Uh, this week, actually. Is it this week? Yeah, next, or next week it closes. Um, and so well, we have uh, Ted Morton, who's definitely out there. Ted uh, is known by everyone in this province to be the fiscal hawk. And he... Um, he will be tied in very much with the support from the Wild Rose Alliance, which is really about significant, significant cuts to our public services. So Ted, um, uh, some people will be supporting him in an attempt to try and bring the Wild Rose Alliance back into the fold of the Conservative Party. I would see that being one of the positioning. Uh, People like Doug Griffiths from, um, uh, you know, the... Is the Olds uh, Olds area rural rural Alberta? Uh, Doug's an interesting character. I think he's positioning himself more for a cabinet position than a serious contender for premier. I could be wrong on that. Um, uh, he and I debated. He was very strongly in favor of uh, bringing in a, a sales tax, or at least. As he says, no, I, I'm just saying we need to have a debate about having a sales tax in Alberta. But we were on uh, primetime Alberta debating that uh, last year. So so I don't know uh, how popular he'll be with that idea with a sales tax in Alberta. So, so there is a difference, though. You know, they are looking around at uh, these things. Allison Redford um, has come out very strongly in support of post-secondary education. Uh, I think that will be one of her key planks is sort of investments and uh, education, post-secondary education. So she, uh, but the real one. To, well, there's two. Uh, Doug Horner, uh, who was Minister of Advanced Education and Technology, a farmer. Uh, he may be the next premier, just like Stelmack, in that he wasn't the front runner, but he may come up uh, in between. Uh, the, the Ted Martin and 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 Gary Marr is is kind of the. The uh, one that uh, corporate Calgary and many of the folks in the oil and gas industry are, are looking to be the next premier. Uh, Gary was uh, not in the government the last number of years. He was in Washington, D.C., uh, representing the provincial government. But his primary role was a, as a lobbyist in Washington for the oil and gas industry, more than a lobbyist for the Alberta government, even though he was paid by the Alberta government. And he has very, very deep ties with the oil and gas industry. And he's kind of the, uh, the, main, the main one that people are putting their dollars on us. But there are dis- differences, and I think that they need to all be challenged. And there's nothing like a leadership race to get people on the record and uh, then to be able to hold them to account. And so all of our task forces are definitely going to be meeting with the leadership uh, uh, candidates, not only for the PC party, but there's a race for the Alberta party that's coming up and the uh, Liberal party as well. So it's very interesting times, as the Chinese proverb uh, says, uh, may you live in interesting times. So with that, I'd like to uh, thank you very much for coming.